I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour podcast. One podcast, three women, and a whole load of badass. This is the best of our radio show with me, Harriet Minter, Emma Sexton. Natalie Campbell is away this week, trekking up a mountain somewhere, so instead we have the fantastic Harry Hall joining us. We are talking to the authors of the new black girl bible, Slay in Your Lane, uh, plus our review of the news this week, and a little musical interlude to send you on your way. One, two, three, four! us off it is of course our news of the week the stories that we have been talking about all week um we've got to kick off with the anti-trump marches yesterday harry were you there of course i was um <laughs> it, along with a hundred thousand i think other people wow it was incredible um actually quite different from any other march i'd ever been on i would i would say um without hesitation it was an amazing vibe the sun was shining there was music there was no negativity no violence, no kettling, um, I believe. <laughs> Had an absolutely amazing time. I was obviously um, there for work as well, though, um, so reporting for The Independent. So that kind of takes a bit of the fun out, I suppose, because you're doing it for work. But yeah, it was incredible. So I went and um, one of the things that I noticed as I was walking along were all these people kind of standing in the middle or on the sides with you know, cameras on selfie sticks trying to get pictures. I was like, oh, the life of a reporter. <laughs> um, Emma, did you go? No, I didn't. I was actually at Latitude Festival, but it was uh, it was interesting because lots of people were nodding to Trump being in town. Mm-hmm. There, lots of people had banners. Uh, I watched Solange and Solange did, well, she basically said go away Trump <laughs> not quite so politely uh, so there was definitely like an odd to it but no I didn't but I, I was going to ask you too what you thought about the um, inflatable Donald Trump so it's actually on the TV screen behind you right now so when I saw it at the march I felt like it it fitted it really fitted it felt like it was a sort of beacon that everyone was following I don't know that I loved it as an image I felt it was a bit naive a bit crude um but it really did feel it did feel a bit like a beacon that's that's what it felt like when I was there Harry you liked it didn't you I loved the Trump blimp I have to say (laughs) Uh, maybe I'm very juvenile in my humor um that probably speaks volumes I think there's something really powerful about humor as a weapon against somebody like Trump Mm -hmm. because so many people have been affected in the most horrifying ways from immigration to abortion 
um, you know, people were really talking about quite serious issues when I interviewed them on the march. And yet above everyone was this hilarious, grotesque, enormous, impossible to miss blimp. Um, and I think even though maybe it's a bit crude, it sends a kind of real message. It's, it's that kind of British humour, I think. Yeah, uh, not a fan? Not, well, do you know what? Not really, because Trump is vulgar. He's done some awful things, but I just felt like it wasn't like clever humour. Like I get the, I, you know, when you see some of these comedians doing stuff and when they've been really clever with their humour and they put something in different contexts that really makes you think about that issue, I think that's super powerful. For me, that was just kind of mocking somebody else and I just feel like that's just not the way we're going to create change it's just like I don't no. know it just it, that it didn't sit comfortably with me at all but I am getting old now do you think the march <laughs> will create change because that was something that I was I guess a bit dubious of before and before I went and after to be honest I don't know how much change is going to come from it what do you think um I I don't know I I think I think they do. I think that it does because I've always been a big believer in uh, you can feel really helpless when you see somebody who's in a position of power doing things. But when you get a load of people together, you realise how powerful the one plus one can be in terms of creating a movement. I saw that the Women's Equality Party actually did a thank you card to Trump because they've had the most sign-ups ever because his behaviour is so awful. um, But it is being a real catalyst for people going, do you know what? We're not going to put up with this. So, yeah, I do. I'm you know the internal optimist because I went along feeling a bit sort of you know it's it's been a kind of a a bit of a a toxic week politically generally I think and I went along feeling a bit over all politics and very much like that person standing by themselves thinking well there's nothing I can do as an individual and it definitely cheered me definitely made me feel like I wasn't so alone but I don't know what happens next. It was such a positive atmosphere, actually. And I was quite surprised by that because there is a real sort of vitriol against Trump. And I do think marches like that, especially ones like that, that are so positive, have a really galvanizing, sort of unifying impact. And perhaps it's not going to change the fact that Trump is president. Um, but it really does show you look out, you know, at one point I was standing kind of at the top of Trafalgar Square looking out and I was just really overwhelmed with how many people had come out together, how nobody was disagreeing, how everybody kind of had taken humour in it. And yet, you know, I knew that if I turned to my right, turned to my left, somebody would think the same things. And that's a kind of amazing thing because you can, a movement can be born out of that as well, I think. Um, And, you know, it's just like the pussy hats in the Women's March. It was this amazing image. So perhaps not directly, immediately an impact, but I think long term. Uh, Next story this week. Emma, what is it? Well, we have to talk about the ultimate badass, Serena Williams. Oh, love her. Oh, unfortunately, she lost today. But I mean, just an incredible woman. But there's been a lot of talk this week about her and talking about the fact that she is coming coming back from having a baby and lots of talk around her and, and motherhood. Uh, and there was an interesting tweet that she did this week, which was um, all about how she missed her daughter's first steps um, because she was training and that was a really powerful tweet to a lot of mums who were sort of tormented with you know going to work and looking after their kids but I don't know I don't know what you thought about I don't know should should we talk a lot about Serena's motherhood journey because do we do that with guys you know are we talking about Roger Federer had like twins during one set were we really were we talking about that in the same way for me I suppose as somebody with no knowledge, awareness, or understanding of tennis, um, I, I, I'm a, I adore Serena um, and Venus. Um, and actually, the fact that she 
took part in the what's it, the Australian Open pregnant. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's a lot to talk about. That's more interesting than, you know, Roger Federer having having twins, I think, for me. Her story is obviously not kind of applicable to many women. and She's got a lot more money, a lot more resources, but she really is a powerhouse and, 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 and huge inspiration. So, yeah, I think so. And I really like it when people normalize feelings that we all have that sometimes we feel like we can't talk about. So I know lots of my friends who had kids would feel that they could not say publicly, I missed my child's first steps. I, you know, they would just feel that saying that would make everyone think they were such a terrible mother and they would feel real guilt about it. And Serena coming out and saying, I missed my child's first steps. I do feel guilty about it, but the reality is this is my life. I think that is such a powerful statement about accepting that life, particularly if you want to play at that level, life is a series of trade-offs and it, we have to make those. It is, but there's, there's two things that jar with me. One, the fact that I've never seen any other professional sports man talk about how he has missed out on his children's moments because he's been training. So one, I'm like, why is this, you know, why is this an issue for women? Why are women feeling all this guilt about not being there? And two, you know, she's come back 10 months after she's given birth, which on the one hand is phenomenal. But on the other hand, it's like, is that not enormous pressure to put on new mums who have had a baby and are still getting to grips with that newborn baby. You know, we have to remember that Serena has lots of money. She has lots of support. So there's these two things that I just feel like I don't, I don't know, I don't feel like that's helping women. I feel like it's feeding into this narrative that women are already having to deal with. But I think if we don't talk about the narrative, then it just becomes oppressive. And, and that for me is the thing, which is actually when we talk about it, then we get the debate which says, well, hang on. Why does no man ever say this? Why is it just women? And then we start talking about, okay, well, if women feel this, what else are they feeling that we're not taking into consideration in the norm? Um, whereas if we live in this world where we just pretend everything is totally 100% at all times, I don't think that's the reality for men or women. And that to me feels more dangerous in terms of moving us forward than just being honest about your experience. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I have to agree, actually. I I did feel there was something in the dispelling of this myth that women could have it all um, when Serena posted that tweet because we are told, you know, we either have it all or we have nothing. Yeah. But, you know, what is this idea of having it all? Is it being Serena Williams, winning, you know, Wimbledon, being a mother, being hugely successful? Well, actually, to have her say, I've missed something and that's been hard, even though I've got this amazing success, that is quite humbling. Um, and it is quite comforting, I suppose, because you're always going to drop a ball somewhere. And I don't think men are faced with this but men having never, it all thing men are in the never same way even at all. Asked if they're having it all. That's that's the thing that winds me up because it's like you know, yeah, I'm with you, Harry, in terms of like saying honestly how you feel and getting a getting a conversation around it. But you know, there's whole debates about Serena's not able to have it all. No, again, no single male sports player has ever had an article going oh, yeah, I mean, poor Harry Kane can't have it all, can he? You know, he's had to be well, in the world. But he can't. interestingly, <laughs> there was a big furor. I, sorry, people, don't hate me. I'm not up with the World Cup and who all the players are. But there was a big to-do about Gareth Southgate sending one of his players home during the World Cup to be with his wife who's giving birth. And yeah. he was like, get out here and go. And that, yeah. for me, was really interesting because... I mean, previously, not only would that never have happened, like they would have just been like, no, you're at the World Cup. She gives birth alone. Certainly, we wouldn't have talked about it as whether that was a good decision or not. So I do think things are starting to change. Yeah, but that football is still not going to be asked. Can you can you have it all? 
but he but should I- be quite frankly so this is the other thing which is the reason we don't have those conversations with men is because men are brought up sorry for speaking on your behalf guys feel free to disagree with me (laughs) men are brought up to think that their number one duty is economic responsibility and so long as they are bringing home the bacon they are doing their job and nobody asks them actually do you feel a bit sad that you missed out on your kids' childhood? Well, I tell you what, seeing as I'm in a room with two journalists <laughs> who have a lot of influence in mainstream media, maybe you could do those articles. Well, what do you think, ladies? <laughs> Just a little well, I idea. I want to say, you know, I think, I mean, thank you. I'll, I'll try my best. Um, I do want to say, you know, I think it's very difficult because obviously there's a biological difference between a man as a father and a woman as a mother and a woman needing to, you know, leave work for however long, you know, she deems necessary following birth to breastfeed if she wants to etc um and then that's sort of embroiled within the gender pay gap and going back to work and wondering if you have a job and so actually even though we talk about you know men aren't asked this question of can you have it all really we should be talking about maybe maybe we should get to a stage where they can be asked that question where we have equal paternity maternity leave and equal pay because then it kind of wraps it all up in one whereas at the moment there is this weight on women because of that, because you do have to leave work and do all of that and come back and then try and balance. So you've already sort of formed that relationship almost, yeah. you know, more than the father. And Harry, you raised an interesting point, which is that even when we allow for men doing kind of equal parenting and think of them as co-parents rather than just fathers who go out to work and never see their kids, they're still not doing the same emotional labour as women. What do you mean by that? So, yeah, there's this, there's this talk of this phrase, emotional labour, which sort of, you know, in a nutshell, what it means is is the things outside of, you know, the dishes, the childcare, the earning of the money, things like remembering your friend's birthday, getting the Christmas presents, um, you know, the things that, you know, might kind of roll over in women's heads all the time. I'm not saying they don't roll over in men's heads, <laughs> but, you know, countless surveys have shown, including men and women, that... There is a discrepancy there. And so on top of this, you know, tick, 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 I've done all of these things that, you know, are on my chore list this week. I do think women have this additional sort of responsibility almost that, that you know, isn't falling to men, perhaps all men in the same way. Emma, what do you think? Do you think men are not just not that good at emotional labour or do you think it's that women just pick it up automatically? No, I think guys are like, what's the immediate priority? And I kind of feel like, I think... It's just, it's differences. I think that as a woman, you might go, oh yeah, I really want to get a card. A guy might not think about that. He's not bothered. So if he's not bothered about sending a card to his family, why are you bothered about sending a card? But then who would send a card? Well, I just <laughs> like, just don't do it. Like, don't pick up after these people. Like, let them take responsibility. Because I just feel like you can just disable people by like picking up after them and, and doing all this stuff for them. And then it does become you doing it all the time because you're worried about what somebody else is going to think because you didn't get them a card. And uh, like, no, just let it go. But are you not just worried about... So when I get somebody a card and I... I have to admit that I'm actually quite bad at this. I was going to say, it's my birthday this week. Yeah. I ain't got no card. <laughs> it's the card <laughs> thing. I am really bad. And it's like a well-known fact amongst my friends. I'm really bad for birthdays. But I always, when somebody sends me a card, I'm like, oh, I'm really but touching. But if it was a male friend, card. yeah, if it was a male friend who then sends, and his girlfriend sends you a card. I mean, I've got family, my male cousins, and their girlfriends will send my mum and dad a card. And I'm like... Mum and dad have never even met their girlfriends. But this is the thing. So it's not just <laughs> car. And I apologise in advance to my boyfriend for this. But, you know, my boyfriend's mum will, will text me 
over him not obviously because she prefers me it's because she knows I'll respond yeah I'll yeah. make sure that you know we meet at a certain time or whatever during the world cup she was texting me and he was like hang on a minute why isn't she texting me I was like because you never reply but because, because you I reply, feel there's a responsibility and, yeah and now she always goes to you True. where what I would be is like sweetheart I don't know why your mom's texting me but you might want to give her a call <laughs> that is fair <laughs> Uh, well, we really want to know from you what do you think about this men and women having it all. Uh, give us a call and tell us 0344-499-1000. Do men have it all and women have nothing or is it round the wrong way? Have we all got it wrong? Um, so our next story, Harry, you are talking about Superman. Tell us about it. Yes, yeah, so it's another unfortunate, very um, tone-deaf uh <laughs> Hollywood man's response to the Me Too movement. That's all I can say so let me far. Guess, let me guess. He's worried about chatting up women. Tick. <laughs> <laughs> so, right. So, yes, Henry Cavill of Superman fame. Um, this month had an interview in Australian GQ. Um, and he essentially, uh, to sum up, said that he felt like he couldn't talk to women anymore because, quote, he might get called a rapist or something. Oh. So just to give you the quote in full, um, I mean, he's definitely being called something, isn't he? Yeah. Just to give you the quote in full, because I always feel like we have these things out of context and then everyone starts kind of lighting their torches and and hunting people down. (laughs) The quote was, he said he thought there was something wonderful about a man chasing a woman in the old traditional way of dating. With an axe or just like (laughs) a metaphorical chase, a (laughs) non-physical chase. Um, And then he, you know, he was asked about the Me Too movement, which, you know, I think there's really a, a non-difficult way of responding without sounding like a complete creep. But anyway, he responded by saying, it's very difficult to do that if there are certain rules in place because then it's like, well, I don't want to go up and talk to her because I'm going to be called a rapist or something. <laughs> so you're like, forget it. I'm going to call an ex-girlfriend instead and then just go back to a relationship which never really worked. But it's way safer than casting myself into the fires of hell because I'm someone in the public eye and if I go and flirt with someone, then who knows what's going to happen. Oh my goodness. What can we do with these men? Because, you know, this comes up all the time. What does it mean? Who knows what's going to happen? <laughs> well, he does and that's the problem, right? So I think, and I actually want to talk about this. So we're going to talk in a minute about Love Island. Obviously, a little Love Island recap and I want to talk about it within Love Island as well. But I think there's something for men just understanding what is a yes and what is a no. Yeah. Because if you understand what a yes and what a no is, then you can flirt with somebody and know which response you're getting and just follow that. I think everybody does know. This is the thing. And this is what annoys me about this kind of poor me, poor me response from certain men in the industry to the Me Too movement. Um, And by no means all men, because there have been some amazing champions of the movement, but there have been a handful of these kind of misguided, absurd comments like Matt Damon and people saying, oh, what, we're not supposed to flirt with a woman anymore. How can we ask her out? And then these responses from comedians saying, you know, no, you can't, you know, flash yourself to a woman in the workplace, but you can politely say, would you like a coffee? (laughs) You know, so it's it's really not hard and it's never been hard. And it it frustrates me to have the, this whole incredible, hugely important overdue meeting flipped so that now it's about poor men being unable to you know chase women down the street and work wolf whistle at but them also for me the, the me too movement in particular was much more about power and imbalance of power and people who were in positions of power using that to be 
sexually inappropriate or using that and I think that's the nuance that people are, are forgetting I mean yes of course you need consent and respect when you are you know engaging with other people but to me that was that was the main thing around me too so if you're in a position of power and you are using sex to have influence on somebody else then yes it's not okay mate <laughs> so I think the really interesting question around this is always particularly in a workplace situation ask yourself have you ever hit on somebody at work and then ask yourself, have you ever hit on somebody more senior than you at work? And see how often the answer to the second one is yes, because it's not going to be that often. And that is where Me Too comes in. Across the UK, online and on DAB. <laughs> Badass Women's Hour XL on Talk Radio. Now, uh, you might remember a few months ago, the fabulous Natalie Campbell was talking about the book that she thought was going to completely change her life. It was called Slay in Your Lane. It was the Black Girl Bible. And it's written by Yomi Adegoke and Elizabeth Uwe Benene. Ladies, I'm so sorry. I've just tried so hard on those names and I've got them wrong. I know I have. But thank you for joining us so much to talk about the book. Welcome to the studio. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having us. Uh, So, Elizabeth, tell us what inspired the book. Um, so essentially I was reading, so back in 2015, I was reading quite a few different books around personal development and career books. Um, it was like a start of the new year. Um, it was like my first kind of like proper graduate job that I had outside university. Um, so one of those books being Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg and it was really, really good. Um, and I felt that there needed to be, I guess, another book written that kind of focused more on black British women that that centred around the workplace. Um, Because though the book was really good and I got some really good lessons, it it felt to speak to both facets of my my identity, being a black woman. Um, So I, after like a really frustrating week, I called Yomi, my best friend, and I knew she had ambitions to write a book one day. Um, And I said to her, I think you should write a book that for me essentially um because <laughs> i know you want to buy a book and i feel like that you should write but there's so many unwritten rules in a corporate world about getting ahead um and so i think that someone needs to kind of like put this on paper and write it um and in that conversation we kind of like by the end of it we were like let's do it together sort of thing um well she said she trusted me to say let's do it together because <laughs> um, she's a journalist so um so she said yeah let's do it together and honestly like three years three years ago and we're here I mean, that's amazing. What did you think when Elizabeth suggested it? Did you think, yes, this needs to happen? Or you're like, mm, I don't know. I immediately was like, this is probably one of the best ideas I've ever heard. <laughs> and quite literally, as she sort of was saying, yeah, I think you should write this book. I'm like pitching for me to do it. I was like, literally with one hand, like sort of looking like, does anything else like this exist? Because <laughs> if not, this is actually quite clearly one of the, like, the most important things that could ever happen. And then I always kind of say like, because it was such a clearly brilliant idea and she was quite literally gifting it to me, I was like... I just kind of had this like quick flash forward of like all these people buying this amazing book and like it being Elizabeth's idea and then obviously she's like amazing at marketing like she's a brilliant writer so I was like yeah for the for the sake of this friendship like very much to ensure that we still have this friendship in another eight years time let's do it together and then um yeah it was just so so clearly and I suppose so obviously needed because it was just like um once we started researching you know sort of black lean-ins inverted commas and Mm -hmm. books that sort of focus on the workplace it became really quickly apparent that there was nothing like that in sort of any other area so like dating health and that's why it's like the black girl bible we made it a lot more yeah thorough so you've expanded out from work to life in general yeah amazing harry did you the book covers sort of everything as you said from health to (coughs) finance to education but what's really interesting to me something that came out of it is this concept that you sort of you talk about this sort of almost equivalent of toxic masculinity for black women about this idea of the kind of sassy quote sassy black Mm. woman or this kind of 
angry or even empowered black women and, and the pressure that that puts upon black women. And actually, as a white woman, this isn't something that I had ever heard about or thought about before. And I thought that brought a really amazing, interesting new topic, hugely important topic to the fore. And I wondered sort of, where did it come from to put that in there as well, you know, as everything else? Was that a sort of straight away, this is a massive thing we have to, or were people already talking about it and you felt it needed to be covered more? Um, yeah, I think it's something that definitely had been spoken about a lot within the black community. Um, it's very sort of rare to even come across a black woman that has never once been accused of sort of being sassy or being angry or having a chip on their shoulder. Even just the other day when, um, I know you guys were talking about Love Island, yes. which we adore. Um, <laughs> there's been a lot of sort of talk about Samira and when she left, um, I think Love Island, the actual sort of verified account, sort of um, said something. When they did their sort of goodbye to her, they quote tweeted it with like, oh, we're going to miss sassy Samira. And everyone was like... How is she sassy? She's corny, she's funny, she's goofy, she's sweet, but she's not sassy. But it's just that kind of immediate thing of like, you know, as a black woman, you're like sort of massively stronger than everybody else and you're kind of more willing to withstand sort of um, bad treatment and you're more able to. And I think the big issue with that is it's like a double-edged sword, as we say in the book. It's a positive thing at times because it means you kind of become more resilient. But then when you're just having a really bad day and feeling really down, you almost feel like, gosh, I don't want to be the weakest link, the kind of poor black girl that's unlike her peers, able to kind of just get through it. Mm. And it's interesting because it's sort of, you know, this idea of sort of the difference between, you know, white women and, you know, don't cry, you'll be seen as weak. And then mm. actually the, the, what you're talking about and this sort of, you know, this almost pressure on black women to, to not cry and to yeah. be strong was really interesting and actually what I loved so much about this book is that actually my mum told me about it because she had heard of you guys on Women's Hour and was like, this book sounds amazing. And so it's really something that, you know, everyone should read. And obviously it's a black girl Bible, Mm. but I think with these things, you know, feminist books, you know, intersectional feminism, Mm. et cetera, everyone should read them to learn about different experiences. And that's something that I learned from the book that I just hadn't, you know, known about. So yeah, thank you. That's great. Thank you so so much. much. You um, obviously spoke to lots of amazing women and interviewed them for the book. Was there anything that was really surprising out of that? Like when you, you know, when you talked to lots of people, were there any any themes that came out that were a bit unexpected? I know you sort of had a vision for the book, but is there anything that came out of those interviews? Ooh, oh gosh, we had like so many, had like so many different <laughs> interviews. Um, Thirty nine, yeah, wow. <laughs> so many hours. Um, there wasn't really anything that was. I'm trying to think. Like, who was your really, favourite? Who was my favourite? Oh, God, this is, this is a harder <laughs> question than the one before. Yeah. It's always just like everyone was so amazing. Yeah. Um, which sounds like such a cop-out, but seriously, when you're speaking to like Malaby Blackman and like Jamelia yeah. and like yeah. Karen yeah. Blackett. Yeah. <laughs> I think we had like our own kind of girl crushes before we kind of, um, before we started this and then we kind of introduced each other, we introduced each other to like new women as well. And I think that's a big part of the book. We didn't just want to kind of like show women that everybody else knew but also kind of reintroduced women to like the British public but also to our demographic as well um I remember the day that Karen Blackett is a real big idol of mine obviously working in marketing um so when Yomi told me oh my god we've got her like she got the email um I was like oh my god like this was like crazy because she was just such a hero for me and she obviously writes the forward of the book um and it was just surreal meeting all these different types of women that like See, I could sit there and like literally tell you each and every kind of wonderful part of yeah. the interviews but honestly it's like there was like 39 brilliant women mm. and I was just going to say sorry just what you were saying about was anything surprising I think a lot of it validated more than surprised mm. yeah, yeah. Were, yeah the stats were really surprising yeah. um, because it was like 
you know, black women are more likely to die of breast cancer. We were like, whoa, black women are more likely to be like swiped left on dating apps and stuff like that. That was it. That was quite like so shocking. But in terms of the women's stories, a lot of the time it was like um, the same issues that like Margaret Busby, who was one of our oldest interviewees, so she's 73, she looks absolutely amazing. <laughs> and then like one of our younger interviewees, Florence Adepodju, who's 27 and a beauty entrepreneur, they were kind of talking about the same stuff with, like, with literally like 50 year gaps. Well, yeah. So yeah, I think it more yeah. validated things that we kind of already yeah. knew about the black British What were some of the things they were talking about can you give some examples gosh i mean microaggressions mm -hmm. like constant invalidations at the hands of um people that weren't necessarily doing it intentionally yep. um being undermined being sort of undervalued there was just loads yeah. of it i remember margaret busby said that um so she was kind of at the head of her publishing house she was like the youngest um and the first and the first like person to have her own publishing house um the youngest anyway and i remember um she was saying that her kind of who's the person her partner sort of not her business partner mm. was a white man and a lot of the time when they'll go to all these meetings everyone assumed that he was kind of like the head of like the publishing house and when i when we went i went to, we did an event last week gosh all the days are blurring <laughs> um, and some woman she was like she's like as small as me i'm like like literally five foot and she was like everybody i'm like the head of like investment and this and this and everyone thinks that it's the the other guy who's like taller than me who's like you know yeah. the other white guy who's like the head um so it's just very similar kind of like themes around microaggressions and you know conscious bias and all of that sort of stuff but yeah. um like you only said it invalidated more than surprised us mm -hmm. can i just uh, i just want to rewind <coughs> back to like when you you had the idea and you have a conversation as, uh, as friends because i think it's one thing to have an idea it's absolutely another thing to make it happen and mm -hmm. also to have the amazing success that you that you're having can you tell me what what happened next after you had that idea how did you start to make this make mm. this happen um, so honestly, as you do, like being a typical millennial, you go on Google, <laughs> like honestly, like you just go on Google and we typed in how to get a book deal, like that straightforward. And it came up with all these links and one of them saying that one, you need to write a book proposal because book proposals, um, nonfiction books count on, you know, them understanding that you're know, proving the market and proving that you can actually, it, can, it will sell essentially. Um, so we, we went through all that. We, um, it was like different parts. They were like, oh, you've got to do this, you've got to do this. And we really kind of like took our time and we spent the, like, the whole summer working on it. Um, we did a focus group with our, like not necessarily our friends, but people we kind of knew, like loosely, different types of black girls. And we kind of pulled them into like a restaurant and we asked them, like, oh, what do you think about our idea? And stuff like that. So um, we did, it was, that proposal was very much, I guess, a lot of where our efforts gone into, went into the first couple of months. And then alongside that, it was like, oh, you have to get um, an agent um, because they are like the gatekeepers into the publishing world, yeah. um, as you guys might know. And um, as part of that, we were like, oh, do we really want an agent because they take, you know, they take a percentage? And we were like, nah, we don't. Let's do it ourselves because we can, you know, we can do it ourselves. <laughs> and that quickly dialed out. So once we kind of realised <laughs> that that wasn't the case, um, we were like, cool, we've got, we've got our um, our our proposal. Let's look for an look for an agent. So that's what was like the next step. Yeah. So it was very weird. We kind of like took it like very methodologically in terms of. Like, like this is what we need to do just because of the internet is such a good source of information that's amazing i love that how do i rush book i'm just going to check with google google or no <laughs> harry i i also wanted to ask you both um sort of how you know you've got this amazing friendship relationship that's really come across in you know comes across in the book and has come across in all your interviews um 
you know, and a lot of the questions are, you know, have you argued, blah, blah, blah. But yeah. actually, I, you know, I don't want to ask that because, you know, that's always a thing that would obviously be asked of two women, you know, have you bickered? Very but true. actually, um, what I want to know is how did your kind of different skill sets complement each other? Because I know, Elizabeth, you um, you work in marketing and Yomi, um, you're a journalist. So yeah. how did they fit together in, in this project? God, I think it was just perfect, honestly. I think that we both had a very sort of clear vision for how we wanted it to be. We knew that we wanted it to be to immediately speak to sort of black women first, but also to be mainstream and to be something that we felt that allies and people from outside different communities would also be interested in. So I think that's like a real sort of big part where Elizabeth's sort of um, marketing expertise came in because I think the sort of success that we've had just isn't an accident. The sort of like, we, we sort of walked past um, Foils in Stratford and had like this massive window display and it's like all these little books and it says, you know, the black girl Bible with this sort of massive poster and we're like, it's just unprecedented but it's because we've sort of because of Elizabeth's marketing expertise we were able to sort of create something that we knew would speak to people outside of our community and just it's just a good looking book like the whole campaign it is a great it's a gorgeous book, book right yeah. and like the whole campaign we wanted it to be sort of like engaging and interesting and that even if you're outside of that demographic like you know who Jamelia is you know who Vanessa Gory is lots of people or even if you didn't yeah. you'd be interested in who the you know publishing director of Vogue was and then obviously you know writing's my trade and that and Elizabeth I, I think a lot of confidence was like sort of yeah passed because over. yeah passed over because I'd read her work before and been like oh you can write and then would like sort of help with like reading over stuff and editing and yeah I think it just fit perfectly yeah so we are going to find out more from Elizabeth about exactly how to market a book because you've done it brilliantly <laughs> coming up here on Badass Women's Hour XL on Talk Radio how would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. One, two, three, four! (laughs) 
Welcome back to Badass Women XL with me, Harriet Minter, Emma Sexton, and this week, the fabulous Harry Hall. Uh, before the break, we were talking to the authors of the Black Girl Bible, Slay in Your Lane, Yomi Adekoke and Elizabeth Uwe Benene. Uh, how close was that? Was it close? Very close. Okay. Very, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Very um, <well> <laughs> about their book, Slay in Your Lane, which has... It's everywhere. And I'm so, and we did talk about what beautiful cover, and it is a beautiful cover. Yeah, so, an excellent you. choice on the hot pink. <laughs> um, it's everywhere because of some brilliant marketing, I think, Elizabeth. Mm. And publicity from our amazing publicist, yeah. Naomi, Naomi Mantin. She's amazing. Yeah, yeah, but so, I, you keep dodging this. <laughs> you clearly had a really great strategy around it. Did you know that you, did you see this and be like, I think I can make this work? I think I can sell it. If I'm so honest, when, you're, when we first had that conversation back in 2015, that was the part that interested me the most. Like yeah. the writing bit didn't seem real because I thought I don't necessarily do that for a living. And Yomi had to kind of like sell the whole, oh, like it's going to be a campaign bit. And that's what kind of hooked me. Um, and it was, I think from that conversation, it was like, yep, we want to kind of like raise the voices of like black, black British women, but we also want to increase their visibility. And we didn't want the book to kind of go down the kind of like self-published route and it to be sidelined and, mm -hmm. and just and only live online. We wanted it to kind of like be your social media kind of campaign and I think five, I think the the name of the book was just like was just perfect and timely and like our social media strategy has been, just been like reinforced that as well um and I think I think the beauty of it is as well is like though obviously I work in marketing and I think the number one thing that we always said is we want people to feel something when they like any product like yeah. we want them to actually when they see this book either be like oh my god this is amazing like that was like the kind of end goal um and obviously just like there's just been everything we've done has been so strategic and it's been deliberate and we're so lucky it's paying off because um, when you see the Amazon charts and it's like, oh, we're number one, like it just makes everything really worth it. But there'll be times when we're just like, oh, my God, we don't want to post. And like I would be like, oh, I can't. And you would be like, no, we've got to do it. And I think that's the <laughs> thing. Like there's there's ideas and there's doing things. But I think what's really good about having working on this with like you're me my best friend and having she's we're very different personalities in terms of how we work as well like she like in terms of being very analytical and being very like dedicated you're very like that like she puts me <laughs> back on the straight and narrow because i can just be like oh theorizing for a long time and be like oh things have to look but in terms of like with things have to be for like we have to post four times a week like four four days a week different articles and like all of those sort of kind of like things it's been if, if it was left to me, sometimes I'd just be like, oh, we can miss a day. But having someone like your me can just be who's on the straight and narrow is very, very like key to, to, to something being consistent. And I think that was the most important thing. We didn't just want to appear later on in like Elle magazine and yeah. like The Times and The Guardian and be like, oh, this is a book. We wanted to take people on a journey with us. And that was like a really key thing and kind of buying people in, in like first and foremost, who these women are, um, who we are who are just normal black girls essentially and why this book is important so it was like a really kind of like multi-layered strategy it's well. brilliant uh yummy are you gonna read a bit of the book for us i am this is like my favorite <laughs> yeah like she told me this story she wasn't gonna put this in, into the book <laughs> and she told me it, and i was like this is so funny because it's so bad but it's so funny <laughs> i was like is it that bad it was it a was honestly she repressed it but it's actually one of my favorite stories and i can't believe she was not going to put it in a book so please thank me <laughs> thank you very much elizabeth <laughs> okay so this is from um a chapter called being susan storm which is in the sort of wider representation section of the book which sort of looks at like media and stuff um so when i was in year six my primary school put on a production of greece for many kids including me 
The prospect of missing lessons to wear a pink satin jacket and hand drive was ex- sorry was as exciting as if the fake cigarettes we were fake smoking had been real. I leapt at the opportunity and went for the joint largest role, the archetypal white girl next door, Sandy. When auditions came around, I was confident. I knew I was unlikely to be scouted by Disney and carted onto their conveyor belt of terrifyingly precocious child stars, but I could dance, carry a tune and show off a great deal, which, age 10, is essentially indistinguishable from acting. I learnt my lines, hit some notes and strutted away, convinced that my performance had been enough for me to be crowned with the blonde wig of Miss Olsen. But I wasn't. I didn't get the part of Sandy, a blow supposedly softened by the silver lining of being given the role of resident bad gal Rizzo. When anyone, while anyone in their right mind knows that Rizzo is the true star of Greece, Sandy was simply a la- Sandy was simply a land aerial giving up her legs for a bloke. But in her case, legs were a cardigan and good grades. She wasn't the biggest part, and the biggest part was meant to go to the person who had given the best audition. And I knew that person had been me. You might think that this is simply my embittered, self-aggrandizing interpretation, but it's not. You see, while talent is often subjective, the teacher's decision to cast a blonde-haired, blue-eyed schoolmate of mine and then rewrite the script so I had to sing Sandy's songs because she couldn't sing at all, pretty much cemented my suspicion that the decision had been an aesthetic one. The girl who was chosen didn't have a single solo in the school musical, but boy, did she have a killer set of baby blues. This reverse Millie Vanilli routine was the first time I realised something that now barely raises an eyebrow from me. Black women's voices are wanted, but not if they come from our own mouths. If, if you look at the music charts, blue-eyed soul artists dominate simply because they sound like their black peers who can't seem to catch a commercial break in the UK themselves. White artists are given award nods for sounds that not only came from black women but also often regulate those women from outside the top 40. Similarly, white actors are able to flourish in their own countries first while black actors must often achieve success overseas before they are championed at home. Thankfully, my singing and dancing dreams pretty much began and ended age 10 but for those who go on to follow them, the problem persists even when they do come true. That's an incredible story. <laughs> wow. They rewrote yeah, the whole script. They actually rewrote it. So I was like, hopelessly devoted. I was like, wait, Rizzo doesn't sing that. <laughs> I was like, why am I singing this? Like, they literally rewrote it. So I had to sing it. It was crazy. And I think a lot of part of the different parts of the book is like a lot of it's repressed memories. It really that is. Yeah. Yeah. Like the writing process was just like, okay, we do the research, we do the interviews, but really like our personal experiences growing up, like yeah. what did what was it like? And a lot of the time, like everybody, you just don't really think about the larger impact of like the most yeah. minor yeah. little thing. I didn't even think it was bad until Elizabeth was like, do you even have a clue how racist that is? I was like, really? No, I mean, I, I literally was like, but she did have, she did look more like Sandy and Elizabeth was like, they rewrote the script. They rewrote the script. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. So that was just, yeah. Because that's the thing, isn't it? That, that would have been quite like normal and okay yeah. to do that at that time. And I think what is brilliant now is that, Peter, and just the way that the world is in terms of what we've got access to, is that we can put out these stories because I know we've had conversations conversations with Natalie and Natalie's told me lots of things that she's experienced as a black woman Mm. and I just had no insight to that so you know this is I know this book isn't necessarily written for me but for me to read this book is really powerful because it gives me so many insights to things where you're like oh my goodness that Mm. totally went on but you know to to just kind of get that another layer of understanding and awakeness around it. Absolutely yeah. What was it like for the both of you kind of bringing up those repressed memories? Do you oh. think writing the books has changed you? I was going to say, I think a lot of the time it was funny. And I know yeah. <laughs> it shouldn't have been. I really don't think it shouldn't have been, but we did spend a lot of time laughing about stuff because it was just like, in hindsight, like there's a thing where Elizabeth's like, 
was talking to this guy and um you know, he was black as well and he was supposed to take her to Nando's. This was like a big thing at the time when we were at university and I was like, oh, he's, he's, I was 18, he's 18. Every, she was 18, you know. Is this is Let's definitely not, not something Nando's she'd dates. do now. It wasn't rocker. Yeah, it, yeah. I was never rocker now. Like <laughs> Nando's was... Like, was... <laughs> and me being like, look, as Elizabeth said, very straight and narrow person I am, like at the time I was like, he's not going to take you. He's, he's not. And then she was like, oh, but he will. And then I'm obviously because like, men are... Sh- 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 yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> of course, you know how men can be. So he didn't. And then when she sort of, you know quite rightfully sort of brought up her feelings of disappointment about it. And he was black as well. He literally said to her, oh, don't give me the black girl chat. That's what he said to her. Yeah. And and wow. it became this like running joke for us where we'd be uni. like at each other, like, don't okay, give me the black, black girl, girl chat. chat. <laughs> Honestly. So when we, when we were writing it in the context of this book, it was like, oh, that was actually really bad. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, I think a lot of it was quite funny, but a lot of it was quite, I wouldn't say like traumatic, but it was a lot about like being grateful, I suppose, yeah. that you can have these realisations now that like you're so far from allowing those kind of things to happen. Yeah. Absolutely. Why are you two laughing at these absurd stories? I'm sort of just absolutely, you know, gobsmacked. But I wonder what what the reaction has been to this book, because... It's so empowering, but it's also kind of laying out these truths to people. You know, this happened, this happened, this happened. And these things are, you know, racism, whether that's a microaggression or, you know, written on the wall. How have people reacted to that? Because often when you speak out, you know, about feminism or racism, people aren't happy and that's and that's difficult. So I wonder if there's been anything like that. Um, Our kind of like demographic like black girls i think the number one reaction is oh my god like yeah this is i'm glad it's actually in not just online but this is an actual book and um it's kind of validates their own experiences um and i think for everybody else it's very much like you said oh my god this stuff does exist we're not making this stuff up um and i think that's what's powerful around the book um because it's not just anecdote after anecdote. We tried our best to kind of weave in stats. And a lot of those stats were African-American stats. And we tried our best not to use those. And we tried to find stats in the UK. But once one, one of the reasons why we've had to kind of really think, because a lot of the stats don't exist because people don't care enough. So when we're trying to work out, okay, what, what does this actually mean for black girls in the UK? There isn't enough. So um, I, think, I think a lot of it has been... I think people in our demographic, they definitely understand these things exist. And I think it kind of gives them the kind of sanity, like the kind of almost sanity checks that we talk about, not just calling up your best friend, but this is kind of like your other 39 or one of the most trailblazing black women in the country are also validating your experiences and there's stats to kind of prove it. This isn't just a chip on your shoulder. This is an actual real thing that happens. And I think for everybody else, it's kind of like almost looking in from the outside and going, oh, okay, so this actually does happen and it's not just reduced to essentially um, just like you know personal experiences mm. we have stats in there that actually back up and research um and i think it's what's important is it's not just like we just don't want this book to be like the first book and that's it we want it to be this you know a floodgates to more books and more research and ac- academics on these type of experiences so mm. were there any stats that shocked you was there anything you didn't know that when you're researching it you're like oh my gosh i wasn't even aware of that um i think as I was saying before, there's stuff around, I mean, there's lots of stuff around health. Black women be more likely to have fibroids. Um, a lot of the time that's linked to like chemical relaxer and like mm. um, hair care treatments that are like not wow. good for black hair. Um, the statistics around like breast cancer. Um, and then I think especially I'm always bringing up the statistics around dating because I think a lot of black women have kind of 
assumed that or had some sort of ideas around that but it's never been sort of concretely laid out that no guys this is actually real in terms of um being less likely to sort of receive matches on dating sites being more likely to receive the cold shoulder and i think what's really important to acknowledge about that is that it's from every single racial group so that includes within our own um community and from black men and i think um yeah i think there were just loads of different things that just really sort of whilst you kind of had ideas around it and kind of thought like oh maybe you know there's probably something in this you didn't have the kind of statistical evidence that proved it but yeah we found a lot of stuff out that was just like absolutely mind-blowing to be honest Mm. and you see you've really it feels like you've created a brand now from what i've seen across the media across your socials and things Mm. have you got plans of what you're going to do next are you still kind of in this whirlwind of the the book launch it's so weird because um, someone asked us a question the other day and they were like, did you ever think it was going to be as like big as this? Because it's me and Yomi and we think so, like, like if you if you could actually think about how we're very, very, like, we, 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 we're big dreamers. So honestly, in the depths and the depths and the depths back in March 2015, before anything started, we definitely thought, we saw, we saw all this happening. Yeah, we saw honestly. global. <laughs> we honestly did. We really did. Yeah. But to see it, come like to come out and like you know photo shoot after photo shoot this after this where it's 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 kind of like taking us aback a lot a lot because and it's very it's very much humbled us a lot um in terms of i guess like what's next i think what's the, the beauty of what we've done is we've created like a real body of work that can be you know moved and like you know trans like you know created in different platforms and doing different things as well um so i think i think it's got a really strong name we, I think the most important thing on our minds at the moment is like, oh, we need a holiday because we're actually <laughs> exhausted. But honestly, I think we're so keen to kind of like, you know, make sure that we're going to schools and like, you know, spread the message about what book's about. But, um, and also very much like go into like workplaces and kind of also do that. But from a brand level, yeah, we're just like, really just want to have fun and just like, you know, whatever comes out of it, we're really, really excited. Mm. And I think Elizabeth, as Elizabeth was saying, we don't want this to be like the full stop of the conversation. We want it to sort of, keep going and just um yeah we're just open to anything to be honest <laughs> yeah. yeah so powerful i'm just thinking of all the young girls as well who will, who will read this and that will change their future yeah. and the way that they're able to operate in the world i think it's really exciting well, well, i hope so, so. Thank, you. thank you do you think um just kind of on where it goes next and what else you do with it you said you wanted to go global do you think there is space for this i'm thinking like in the u.s market absolutely yeah, yeah like we're kind of like those are the comical kind of conversations we're trying to push now yeah. like um we've already had interest from loads of different countries and i think yeah. we met this girl from portugal who was like I, i'm reading this and you can just literally swap out the word britain for portugal because yeah. <laughs> she was like it's exactly the same experience um so and i think that's in any predominantly sort of white country where you are a minority like it's really easily translatable so yeah we've had some interesting from like brazil like we, we sold the right yeah we brazil sold the rights to brazil and apparently they really rarely make sort of um offers um yeah. of that the scale they did like then they're quite like conservative with, because it's not the richest of countries so we were just so flattered that they yeah. were even interested um so yeah um i definitely think that the U- we've had so many messages from americans being like where's our version and we're like oh, <laughs> we're coming we're like staring at our agent like where is honestly. it like, yeah honestly but we've had a lot of interest from them and we're kind of like it's definitely something that we're ho- sort of hoping will happen soon absolutely fingers crossed and you talked about there's lots of things that kind of came up for you in the book so stats that you weren't aware of things that you kind of repressed and hadn't thought about if there were a couple of either stats or behaviors or facts that you think it's really important that everyone is aware of, what would they be? 
Oh, that's, that is such a big question. It's such a <laughs> Um, I guess one thing that Elizabeth said in like another interview we did was just if people can take it's not really a stat or an anecdote or anything, but it's just a general message. Like if there's one thing that people can take away from this book, it's just that the experiences, the lived experiences of black women in this country are valid and that they deserve to be heard and that they're real. Um, And I guess that's why we put so many anecdotes, not just from our lives. And then we sort of double down with that with like 39 like women who are incredible. A lot of them are recognisable. Some aren't, but they're like amazing. Um, And then we've doubled down on that with stats. It's very much just like we put this together to be like, you know, obviously to show black women themselves that, you know, you're not crazy. This isn't a chip on your shoulder. But then to show people outside of that but you know these are experiences worth listening to and I'm always telling this anecdote that the other day when I opened Twitter um, I had a notification from someone whose at was fat white bloke and I was just like oh I roll what is this gonna be he's gonna be like oh where's the white girl bible like do you know what I mean <laughs> and then he li- I literally opened it and he was like just heard you guys on BBC Radio 4 and this is so important I've learned so much about the black female experience that I didn't know and it's just like oh, that to me just completely wow. sums up what we're trying to do like somebody that act like that and you're normally i'm like terrified they're gonna be like sending us racist abuse but i think it just did what we hoped which is just that to show that our experiences are real and they're valid yeah and i mean that's such an amazing wonderful <laughs> so thing great. to hear um especially because we you know we expect the worst from twitter yeah, um, and so that's a really nice story but were you you've written the book in this really kind of accessible way um it's not this kind of steeped in you know academic language um and you know the chapter headings you know are kind of related to uk garage which is amazing (laughs) were you um was that i mean obviously that was a kind of conscious decision but you know was that as a as a way of saying we're going to appeal to as many people as possible and we want it to be relatable and we don't want it to be kind of you know take it up to a level where you know for example people like cheryl Cheryl sandberg only speaking for you know this really niche group of people and actually a lot of you know race texts feminist texts are so academic that it's actually hard to penetrate Mm so was that part of the thought process yeah do you know what I don't even think we even it was we thought about it like that at all or I didn't um when we first yeah not initially when we first (coughs) parts of like the sample um chapter um our agent was very much like okay this is great it needs some work and the work of the work that it needs is more of you guys's voices because we didn't necessarily think, oh, we need to kind of put ourselves in this at, at all. It wasn't about that. It was about the women. Um, but our editor was very much like, okay, think it was very much, we need your voices shine through um, throughout the whole, like the text. Um, so I think because of that, I think that's why it's quite authentic. And we we were asked, like, we had an interview and like, they were like, oh, did you guys like, was it put in, in their... Um, using slang was that deliberate and it was very much because that's how we talk Mm. we're like honestly girls from south london we go to these corporate workplaces and go to these fancy networking events but at the heart we grew up in this in this literally in peckham and croydon and um that's and our demographic not necessarily all come from those areas but they can definitely relate to just our very straight talking like just the way we are um i think we tried our best to kind of put our our personality as much as possible in 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 the book and i think that's why it's come out very accessible because that's just honestly like and i think what's interesting is i think loads of black women were used to kind of like you know learning like code switching and going from one environment and just seamlessly going to another environment and um and and blending in and just you know switching it up so i think it was really important for us to just be ourselves as much as possible so they can read the book and see themselves in us because that's honestly at the heart of what this book is 
ladies thank you so much for joining us the book is brilliant it's called slay in your lane the black girl bible it is out now you can't miss it it's a beautiful hot pink yomi adegoke and elizabeth thank you so much for joining us you have been brilliant and super inspiring thank you so much thank you people want to find you online where should they be having a look at slaying your lane that's across the board because because that's why we're like we know we made this time up because it's like <laughs> we have both domains.co.uk.com the instagram the facebook the twitter so yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. marketing for you right <laughs> love it thank you so much badass women's hour excel on talk radio she'll get you talking Kelly Lee is a singer-songwriter from South London. She released her debut solo single, Do You Want to Be Loved Like This, in February 2018. She is going to be performing that and bonus track, More Than Friends, for us now. Yeah. Okay, let's take it away, Toby. Tell myself that we can be more than just friends I know you think that if we move too soon It will all end I live in misery when you're not around I won't be satisfied till we're taking those vows I'm gonna be, cause I can't pretend Don't you wanna be more than friends What's it gonna be, cause I can't pretend don't you wanna be more than friends? Hold me tight and don't let. I often fantasize the stars above all what you They know my heart is speaks to yours like only lovers do. If I could wait close, I pretend I was you and lose control. There'll be some love making, heart breaking, soul shaking love. Love making, heart breaking, soul shaking. I can't pretend Don't you wanna be More than friends What's it gonna be Cause I can't pretend Don't you wanna be More than friends Hold me tight and don't let Running in and out my life It's got me so confused We can make a sacrifice Somebody's got to choose We can make it if we try For the sake of you and I like this yes i released it on my own record label at the beginning of the year in february I decided uh, to set what my, a badass yeah <laughs> decided to set my own label and 
Yeah, release it. And actually, this is an exclusive for you guys. The first time I'm doing it acoustic. So amazing. We're so excited. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. Mama told me that he'd come and mess my mind. Oh, she told me. She told me. She told me. But he does a thing that makes me feel alive Yeah, he knows me Mmm, he knows me He got that thing, that thing that I need He put that, put that thing on me Oh, body burning like fire Got me screaming like a choir He got me weak, I'm weak and I need A body to stay from my relief Oh, 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 oh Then he says loved like this and before that more than friends Kelly that was fantastic oh, we loved you. it thank you. you for having me in the studio oh thank thanks coming for in. coming in um I was just reading your bio and one thing that really struck me was that actually you have had number one singles you <laughs> we have featured on all these number one singles and you've never been credited for them and now it feels like this is you being like uh no yeah I'm taking the reins now yeah in uh 2014 I sang I got you for Duchamon and Jack Jones which yeah. went to number one and then second cities I want to feel which went to number one and uh, then last year, More Than Friends went top 10 with James Hype, uh, which was awesome. So, yeah, I kind of, I'm an artist myself, but I somehow, it was it's amazing that I sung those tracks. But, yeah, it was kind of banging down some doors and going, hey, I'm, I'm here and I do me. And, um, yeah, so the beginning of the year, 
decided to put out Do You Want to Be Loved Like This on my own label. And yeah, it's been really cool. It started trending in Dubai. I did a big show out there, uh, Red Fest, and just gearing up for my second single coming out soon. Um, So yeah. And what's the second single called? So we can look out for it. It's called Can't Dance. And uh, yeah, we're just uh, getting everything set up at the moment. I shot the video in Cape Town in South Africa and um, I've kind of done this interesting contemporary dance please <laughs> which I'm really excited for everybody to see and so far we've been getting some some really cool feedback so it's been really exciting um yeah and I had a new feature come out two weeks ago with Black Saint on Warner that's called Don't Wreck My Holiday and it was synced to Love Island last week so it's like people have been we love a bit of Love Island <laughs> on this show <laughs> so yeah amazing and Kate what is I guess what is now motivate? What why does now feel like the time when you're like, hang on, I'm still knocking these doors. I'm here and I'm just going to do this myself. What was it that made you make that switch from helping everyone else out? <laughs> being like, okay, now. Um, I think frustration. I mean, um, no sex intended, but I know mm-hmm. as women, we know that it does feel like we have to work ten times harder yeah. a lot of time, and especially in the DJ producer world and dance music, it's all about male producer DJs. Mm-hmm and uh, using a lot of female vocals and male vocals. Yeah. And yeah, I kind of was seen as a certain thing and people were just wanting me to sing their hits. And when I was saying I do my own stuff, I wasn't really being listened to. So I thought I'm not gonna wait for someone else to allow me to put my music out. I'm gonna put it out myself. And um, I'm really proud of Do You Wanna Be Loved Like This. It's had, um, it was produced by James Hype, who I did More Than Friends With and Eddie Jenkins. And we went in the studio and made a track for me. And yeah, I shot a video in one day in Dubai and just, yeah, it's done just over 70,000 streams on Spotify with no Spotify playlist at all. So I'm, I'm just so proud of that. And it's just now about me growing and the journey and just going, hey, I'm here. I've sung these tracks, you know my voice, but now get to know me. And what is your goal for the rest of the year? What would you like to see happen? Um, I'd love to see some Spotify support for my next single because I'm not with the major label as I'm with my own label. Um, yeah, to, you, I need to meet someone magic at Spotify. So if anyone at Spotify is listening, that'd be awesome. <laughs> Who do we know? We must know someone at Spotify. Oh, I used to know the marketing Emma. director. Oh, there we go. Oh, there we go. We'll, okay. that um, we'll do some <laughs> tweeting for you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> uh, but then I've got shows coming up the rest of the year, uh, performing at uh, Boardmasters, um, uh, Manchester Pride uh, main stage. I love all the Pride events. The Birmingham Pride earlier on the year and Edinburgh Pride and they're a really big supporter of me, uh, my LGBTQ fan base. And um, yeah, I've got Sundown Festival and at the end of the year, I'll be going back to the UAE and doing some shows myself. I think we've got a headline one that we're discussing at the moment. So Great. yeah, it's Exciting. gonna be getting on the road, doing more shows and doing some more acoustic things with awesome Toby like here. I smashed it so yeah well Amazing. we have loved listening to you. your voice absolutely blows away and you've just given us all such a lift at the end of the show oh, thank so you. thank you for coming to do that if people want to hear more from you where should they be looking uh check me out on instagram twitter um i'm kelly lee uk and on spotify just search kelly hyphen lee so that's me and you'll find my music there yes and spotify mm-hmm. Give us some promo. That's what we want, please. (laughs) (laughs) So we are nearly at the end of our show. Um, But before we go, it's time for our Ballast Principle of the Week, but we haven't thought of one, Emma, have we? We haven't, but but I'm really inspired by Kelly. Like, you know, she wanted to put her her album uh, music out there and she's like, do you know what? I'm just going to set up my own label. So I think the Ballast Principle of the Week should be just do it because also we had the ladies from Slay in Your Lane and they had an idea and they made it happen. So yeah. I think that's uh, that's the baddest principle of the week. Make it happen. One, two, three, four. 
This has been the Badass Women's Hour podcast. We hope you've loved it as much as we do. If you did, rate and review us, give us five stars, and then come have a chat with us at Badass Women's Hour HR on all the socials. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you name it, we're there. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.